Hello, I'm Damien Edwardson, one half of Art92 and the creator of the sci-fi wrestling comic, The Galaxy Grappling Alliance. And welcome to Oh Men to That, a sporadic podcast series where I talk to a selection of hand-picked guests on a diverse range of topics centred in and around the world of art, comics and all things creative. In this episode, we're looking at the art of the portrait. And as any artist will tell you, capturing someone's likeness is not as simple as it may appear. As you'll hear, there's more to portrait painting than simply recording what someone looks like. It goes deeper than that. You need to try and capture what makes that person or pet unique. And today, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by an artist who can do just that. So sit back and relax and try not to move too much as we look at the art of the portrait. Today I'm pleased to welcome not only a multi-talented artist whose career includes teaching, creating comic books and a specialisation in figurative art. It's safe to say she's pretty much done it all. But on today's show we'll concentrate on the art of portraiture, often the most difficult of artistic disciplines as capturing the likeness or more importantly the essence of the subject is harder than you may think. So it's a big hello to the other half of Art92, Helena. Hi, how are you doing? Um, So... This is a little strange because obviously uh, we're not only partners in the business, but we're married. So it's not often that you interview your other half. So I hope you're going to be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fine. Yeah. And uh, thanks for taking the time out to be on the show as well. I not mean, a problem. It's uh, my pleasure. For for those of you that don't know, we've just got a new dog um, called Marty. So as you can imagine, that's taking up quite a bit of time. So if you hear one of us dash off halfway through the show... Um, he probably needs to go out <laughs> to do his uh, his personal business, shall we say. <laughs> so just to start, do you want to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your artistic journey that covers things like teaching, comics, as I say, and, and portraiture, including pet portraiture? Yeah, of course. Now, this is a bit strange because I rarely like talking about myself. Um, so I'll kind of start from the beginning, really, and explain how I got into drawing and Essentially, I started drawing when I was very little and it was my dad that actually sort of got me drawing because he'd sit with me and I'd have a piece of paper, he'd have a piece of paper, he'd draw a line, I'd draw a line, he'd draw another line and that's how it went and basically I'd copy line for line until we had a finished drawing. And one of my favourite drawings that we used to do, which was kind of seasonal specific really, although I'd beg him to do it all through the year, was this drawing of a little snowman in the distance, in a snowy field, with a busted top hat on and um, a little scarf. And we'd have like a little fence as well. And little did I realise that at that time, he was kind of teaching me perspective because we'd draw the fence with like a large post at the front. And then we'd go down into a small, a little bit smaller, until it went to the distance. And then we'd draw the lines from each post, narrowing down. And at the time, I didn't realise this, but it kind of stayed with me, um, the whole perspective thing, you know, something at the foreground of the drawing and something at the the background of the drawing. So then I kind of continued to draw and I was a voracious drawer. I drew every single day and I'd, I'd fill up these kind of cheap market stall drawing pads just full of stuff and it would be anything I'd, I'd look in magazines I'd copy uh, not drawings but I'd copy um, people and I'd try and draw people and I got quite obsessed with, with drawing the face and I've still got some of the old um, sketch pads and the drawings are 
bloody awful. You know, they're all completely out of perspective. But then I'd start to, you could see me start to improve and start to improve and get better and better and better. And we didn't have any like um, instructional art books in the house. We, you know, my, my dad did a little bit of drawing, but he wasn't an artistic person and we weren't an artistic family, but it really kind of, you know, got into me. And I would I would draw and draw and draw. And then in school, I would draw. And, and to be fair, they were, they were quite encouraging with, with the drawing. And I really excelled at drawing in, in school. And, you know, I, I still kept with the kind of academic side of things and the English and maths and that kind of stuff. But drawing was my, my passion. And I just I just kept on drawing, kept on drawing. And then it got to a point where in high school, I thought I'd really like to do something with this, but I didn't really know what to do with it, essentially. So when it came to finishing and finished my A-levels, I did my A-levels in the same school that I did my GCSEs as well. I, uh, I decided to apply to art college and went for my interview and basically got given an unconditional offer on the spot just off one A3 sheet of observational drawings I'd done of an old battered hobnail boot. And that was the thing that the guy who was interviewing me said, I absolutely love this. He says, yeah, you've got a place. He says, but don't go back and not work and not study. He said, you know, make sure you do what you've got to do. And I went off to art college and it wasn't what I expected, essentially. So I learned how to um, life draw. I learned how to print make. Uh, I learned a lot of ridiculous politics in there. And I really started to panic because I thought, what the hell am I going to do with this qualification? Because I, I hadn't really, you know, at that age, who really thinks about what they want to do unless you have a passion, unless you want to be a nurse or a doctor or, or a teacher or something specific. And I didn't even want to be a teacher at that point. So I finished art college and then I thought, oh, actually, I'm going to carry on. And, and I ended up signing up to do the next level up from what I'd just done. And that was an unmitigated disaster because I spent two weeks not even doing any drawing and I thought, sod this. I said, so, you know, I just dropped out and ended up taking retail work. And I carried on drawing for a bit and then I completely let it drop and it completely left my life. And I just went from kind of one dead end job to another, to another, to another. And then still wasn't doing any drawing, didn't really think about it, didn't even want to pick up a pencil. And then it was when I was in um, yet another dead end job. And this guy, this professor I used to work for, he said to me, he said, look, he said, I, I mean no disrespect to what you do. He said, you're invaluable. He said, but have you ever thought of becoming a teacher? And it really stuck with me that. And I thought, me, a teacher? But hey, you know, why not give it a go? But I went from that dead end job to yet another dead end job. And it was when I was doing that, that his, his sort of voice came back to me. And I thought, yeah, let, let's do something. So I ended up going to night class and I got my certificate in education which then allowed me to get a much, much better job. I jumped from there into a, you know, a, a really good career. And whilst I was doing that, I went back to night class and topped it up and got my degree in teaching. And it gave me not just a kickstart in kind of this path, but it basically, it made an enormous, it made me make an enormous leap in my life. So I continued to work, but, um, in my local library, in fact, they just secured some funding to um, change and to turn this old uh, room that they were just filling up with crap into a gallery. And I just spied an opportunity. I thought, right, OK, H, just, you know, pull your finger out your arse and do something about this. So I went over and offered my services to do um, like voluntary um, art classes. And they just went, wow, yes, please, that'd be fantastic. So I said, it's going to be totally free. I'm not going to charge people. I just want to... It was more in a selfish way. It was not just for the community because, you know, we needed something in the community, but it was for me, really. And then from that, I had no choice but to start drawing again. 
and I started voraciously drawing again and I basically pushed myself out of my comfort zone because I was doing things that I'd never done or hadn't done for a very long time and I was doing scenery, doing still lives and all that kind of stuff and the art group as it was I kind of you know essentially ended up founding this art group it started off with one week I had two people the next week I had one person the week after I did nobody and I thought why the hell am I doing this and I thought no no you need to stick with this everything that you do in life essentially not just in art is always a slow burner everything's a slow burner people people often expect instantaneous kind of results and it doesn't it takes time so I started kind of you know and I'm very aware that the the, the, the people I had coming were of an age, shall we say. So they're not going to be doing necessarily social media and that. So I thought, I'll go down a social media route, but I'll go down a word of mouth route. So I started talking to people, asking people, asking friends if their their dads, their uncles, their mums, you know, sisters, brothers, would they be interested in coming to an art group? Completely free. Just come along. If you don't like it, you don't have to. And then within about two or three months, I was cramming 30 people into this teeny tiny room. And it was so busy, sometimes I had to sit people on the baby seats that are in the sort of baby area of the library. And it was really, really good. And not just for the community, because they loved it, because I had people taking two buses just to get to this art group. But for me as well, I absolutely loved it. I thrived on it. And it really, really kick-started my passion back into art again. And unfortunately, it got so big, I created a bit of a monster and it started taking over my life a bit. And I started thinking, I don't want to get to a point where I start to um, not wish I'd not done it and started to, um, you know, think I haven't got any time for myself, any time for my art, because I really want to start doing some of my work then. So essentially, I just stepped away and I said, look, you know, I'm stepping away, but you can, you know, continue to, to do the art group. And to be fair, they did. I walked away, um, leaving it in a really, really good position. And they said to me, do you mind if we carry on? you know, meeting without you. I said, of course I don't mind carrying on. You know, you're carrying on. Of course you can. So they carried on. Um, and then only recently, so early part of this year, they asked me to go back as a guest tutor to do some um, tutelage for them because they were missing somebody coming and teaching them a, a rigid kind of session um, every other week. Of course, that, that got kiboshed with the, uh, the pandemic. So I ended up not doing it. And I don't know when I will get to do it. Hopefully I will get to do that uh, again sometime. Um, but I can definitely say that I credit doing that art class with reigniting my passion for art and then from there as anybody who follows us will know we set up the business the art 92 business and Damien then got back into art because I got back into art I kind of I kind of kind of brushed off on him a little bit and he thought George you know what why don't I do it and we both started doing a lot of art and said look you know People are asking us to do commissions for them and we have no kind of legal way of taking money without, you know, dodging the taxman kind of thing. And we want to do it all above board. So we started the business. And then from there, we ended up sort of going down the path of writing and illustrating our first comic, which is something I'd never, ever done before. You know, as a kid, I might have done the odd sort of little comic strip from off the back of the Beano and Dandy and that kind of stuff. But I hadn't done anything like that. And we went down that path and it just kind of... Um, I kind of broke new ground with my art, something I'd never, ever done before, never even thought of doing, really. And that's kind of how, that's kind of my history. I tried to make it in a nutshell, but it was a bit long, that, wasn't it? Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Unsurprise me. I know, I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't come up for air then, did I? No, it's interesting stuff. And I'm sure, you know, people listening to this will enjoy listening to where you came from and how you ended up where you are. So just touching on the, the comic that we did together, which... Um, for those of you that don't know, it was a horror comic and it was two stories. H wrote and drew 
one story and I did the second one. Um, and it's called Premortis. Still available in the uh, Art92 shop if anybody's interested. And we're working on issue two at the moment. But how did you find the experience of creating a comic book? Which, again, you're saying something you'd never really considered doing before. I'll be totally upfront with you and tell you that it really pushed me out of my comfort zone. Because I don't... And again, people who people who follow me, people who've heard me speak before will know that I am not a comic reader. And I don't mean any disrespect to comics by any stretch whatsoever. I'm just not a big comic um, book reader. And in a way, I kind of think that helped me because I didn't have any um, preconceived ideas. I didn't, I wasn't making comparisons to other comics thinking, oh, I've got to live up to that or I've got to have that format. or I've got to do this, that and the other, which might have been to my detriment because I was going into this slightly blind, not really knowing what I was doing. Um, but it was also, like I say, like I've just said, it was good in a way because I, I wasn't trying to make comparisons mm. to, to other things. So I went into it slightly blind and I started work on it and I knew that I had obviously you as somebody I could lean on because you were a voracious comic book reader and you know the kind of um, the way that you put things together. So I went about it in my own kind of way and I'm not sure if anybody else goes about it like this, but I actually wrote the story first, longhand. So I wrote a longhanded story first because I do, um, as an aside to art, I also like to write as well. So I wrote the story longhand and then I broke it down into a script, if you will, of how I was going to get that big long-handed story into um, small panels and whether it be um, everything being relayed in speech bubbles or whether it's going to be, you know, little bits at the bottom where you do a ex- little explanation. I'm, so, I'm sure there's proper proper words for this, so forgive me if I'm not using the right words here. I'm just calling a little box at the bottom with some description in. And then I would sit there and kind of thumbnail and I'd thumbnail it out with a little bit of um, description with it. And I'd basically do it on my lunch in work. I'd sit, I'd go sit in the kitchen and do a little bit of, um, you know, thumbnailing. And people would more often than not would come up and go, what are you doing? You know, and I'd sit at um, conventions. I remember sitting at a convention. Funny enough, I was sat next to John Wagner <laughs> writing, my, doing my thumbnails and writing. You know, and, I, and I thought, oh, this is quite nice. I'm actually sat next to John Wagner doing this, you know, very badly, obviously. Um, and then I'd start, started drawing it you know got all the boxes together figuring out how many boxes we're going to have on a page and all the rest of it and then when I started I thought I'd not even bloody well thought of what style I'm going to have what kind of drawing I'm going to have and it ended up um, evolving as I, as I went along I had the, I had the story I had the script but I didn't have a bloody clue how I was going to draw it and I started off drawing it in my kind of drawing style and I suspect this will be the case for a lot of people out there I drew my first page and I started getting better. I started finding my flow. I found my style. And then when I got to the end, I had to go back and do the first page again. Because when I looked at the first page, it was shit compared to the last page. Not that I'm saying, you know, the whole thing was, was absolutely fantastic. Far from it. But in my kind of um, levels, I, and, and, you know, I have sort of standards in my own work. I looked back and thought, Christ, this is rubbish. So I did the first page last. And then it ended up being one of probably one of the strongest pages, really. And it ended up being something um, that, again, I hadn't really thought about, but it ended up being a talking heads. All you saw was just close-ups of heads with the odd little bit of scenery, but not too much. And I hadn't realised it until somebody pointed it out and went, it's very much a talking heads, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, is that a bad thing? I thought, well, hey, you know, I've done it accidentally. Um, Why not, you know, say, oh, yeah, yeah, I meant it to be a talking heads. Of course I bloody didn't. I just did it, you know. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe next time I need to do a bit more of a, of a wider uh, kind of imagery where I get some scenery and stuff in there. Um, but even though the whole thing 
really took me out of my comfort zone. I really, I was like a, a duck in water. My little legs were going and I was really panicking. But I found the whole experience incredibly edifying and really, really enjoyable as well. And I'm really looking forward to sort of getting my teeth into to pre-mortis too. It's just, yeah. it's just been slightly kind of put on the back burner for, you know, for obvious reasons. We're all in the same position here. You know, you lose some of your mojo because of what's going on. And it's a, it's a bit depressing, isn't it, really? And I had other projects on the go, which I'm sure Damien will, will make me talk about. Um, and of course, as he's just mentioned, we've also got a new member of the family. So he's taken up a little bit of my time as well, which yeah. I'm not, um, you know, bothered about at all. And it is difficult to try and think of a horror story when we're probably living currently through. Yeah. As the time of recording this, we're, we're, we're just about to go into a second lockdown of the pandemic. And it's hard to think of anything that's probably more horrific than that at the moment yeah, it's been yeah. it's been quite dreadful for a lot of people but you know you got any thoughts around what what your second story may be or, or I mean obviously you don't need to give anything away yeah but... sure well I had um I had some really good ideas um sort of early in the year before we basically you know started working mm. from home because t- to be brutally honest with you like you say we're, we're in a really um you know, let's let's be blunt about this. We're in a really shit situation, aren't we, at the moment, as are a lot of people. Uh, and there's people in far worse situations and conditions than we're in, you know. And I have to sort of say, look, you know, in, in the scheme of things, us as a couple, we're, we're pretty lucky. And there is a temptation to go down a, you know, a, a pandemic stroke, lockdown stroke virus route. And I don't see anything wrong in doing that. You know, I know certain, certainly people have come out with some stories based around that. Mm. But I had some really good ideas before we went into lockdown. But they kind of petered out a little bit because I noodled with them and it didn't really work. And I do find it difficult to to get ideas for stories when I'm only ever seeing the person behind the counter in the co-op and you and maybe my neighbour because I'm not having an experience of more mm. of the outside world. And, and I get a lot of my inspirations and my ideas from interacting with other people and other people's behaviour and other people's... Um, you know what they're doing and what we talk about so I'm a bit limited because I'm having very limited um, human interaction which as some of you'll know I quite enjoy limited human interaction but you need that interaction to thrive as a person and to also get ideas so I'm falling a little bit flat with ideas at the moment because I've been noodling with stuff but I'm thinking that, you know, whilst I'm out on a walk with Marty one day, I might suddenly get this inspiration and think, right, let's get back and write it down while I'm, while I'm thinking about it. But, you know, kind of Marty's, Marty the dog I'm talking about here, is also giving me inspiration for other ideas not necessarily related to pre-mortis that I've started noodling with as well. So watch the space, you know, yeah. might have something different coming out. And, I mean, as you mentioned John Wagner, but as he said in the past, you know, if you get to that point about writer's block... His idea was just write, yeah, write anything, yeah. write a shopping list, yeah. just keep writing, and eventually something will, yeah. will drop out. Which is what I do because I, I, you know, not related to writing a story, mm. I do write quite um, often as a as a cathartic exercise, really. And it's like I suppose you could call it journaling. Is that yeah. I write things and I write things based on, you know, uh, slightly autobiographical, and I write things about you know my past. I write things about what's going on now. I write things about thoughts that are going on. I, in my head and I it's not necessarily that I will publish them or put them anywhere I do have a blog it's very it's very sporadic I don't you know often post in it sometimes I'll have a sudden surge and I'll write a load of stuff um because again I find it cathartic and I've also found it it's helped other people people have come to me and said your writings about this that and the other subject mm. have helped me enormously with something I'm going through don't get me wrong you know I'm no Claire Rayner. I'm not sort of trying to think there's a blast from the past like, yeah sorry that shows me age doesn't it <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know any any modern kind of um, you know people who do. It's these. probably anyone who's yeah. been on one of these um, real life game show type things because oh. they all seem to become life coaches. Yeah, don't they, I'm, I'm not that. I don't claim to be that. I'm not a psychologist. I just write about how I've dealt with certain situations, yeah. and other people have said that's really helped me. So I'm kind of doing. I'm, I do write. I write pretty regularly, but if I'm going to write for um, a story like pre mortis something, like that, I have to specifically sit down and write for that. Yeah. So it just keeps the writing juices flowing for okay. a better word okay so it's interesting that you mentioned earlier that the comic strip that you did was essentially a talking heads piece and obviously there's a long history of talking heads comics so it's not not as though it was anything wrong with that which of course i didn't know at the time but you know it's interesting that you did that because the subject obviously that we want to talk about today is something that you actually naturally specialized in which was figurative and portraiture art so maybe that's why you naturally lent towards doing those kinds of panels. Yeah, layouts. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Now you mention it, yeah. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about portraiture and, you know, what, what do you love about doing portraits? As I said in the introduction, you know, it's probably one of the hardest things to do because you're not going to please everyone with a portrait. Very true, yeah. Especially if it's actually accurate. So... <laughs> um, yeah, just give us a bit of a uh, bit of a background as to you know why did you get into portraiture in particular? What appealed to you about that? And, yeah, and, sure. You know what what do you love about doing it? Yeah, well, I think I mentioned earlier on when I when I waffled on about you know my my childhood drawing, is that I would go through magazines. We I think we my mum and dad would get like the Radio Times, TV Times, whatever, and I'd see you know famous people in there. I had no idea how how they were famous. I was only a kid, you know. So there'd be um, film stars, pop stars, what have you, and I draw them. And I didn't have a clue how you put together um, a face, how you put together a portrait. I didn't know that the rules of, of measurement and things like that. I just drew them. And when I look back on them, they're bloody awful. Their eyes were too big. You know, they weren't spaced out in, in the, the head properly. But over time, I got better and I got a bit better and I got a bit better. And then I went to art college and I, I mentioned that I, I used to do life drawing. as one of the things that I, I absolutely loved in art college was life drawing. I love the the human form. I love the the, the drawing and how you measure it. And and to be fair, you know, I I'm, I have a bit of a downer on art college, but they taught us properly in life drawing how to measure up, and then they just kind of left you to it really, which I, I was happy about. Um, so I, I learned to measure how you construct a body properly. And of course, naturally, you're constructing a body and you're doing the whole figure and then you will migrate to the, to the face and try and get the head right. And then I learned how to measure properly, how to do proper measurements with, within a, a facial structure. And that then made me leap from, you know, doing all right kind of faces to doing much, much better faces. So you can get the, the structure correct, but then you've got to get the likeness. So if you get the structure correct, because we all sort of we all meet a particular way of um how can i put this I'm kind of i'm you know snarling at your words here but we all um adhere to a, a measuring kind of rule if you like but there are slight nuances to it and that's what gives you your character so you will normally find for example the corner of your eye if you drew a line down would be to the edge of your nose normally but there will be slight adjustments to that depending on your age your gender your ethnicity all that kind of stuff will make will make a difference and you will normally find that your tops of your ears will be at the tops of your eyes if you drew a line across 
and you will more often than not, and this is generally a, a, a rule to, to adhere to, is that your eyes, believe it or not, if you draw a line across your face, sit halfway between the top of your head and the bottom of your head. And you might go, eh, do they? But they do. It's just if you if you shaved your head off, because your hair off, because bear in mind people have you know big hair, not much hair, a little bit of hair. And if you can learn that, then the rest just comes as you as you start to draw. And that's that's the the element you've asked me what, what it is that, that draws me, if you pardon the pun. It's the fact that I really enjoy trying to get that likeness and trying to get um and particular it's particularly difficult if you're drawing from a photograph. If mm. you're drawing from life, um that has its difficulties as well, don't get me wrong. You're expecting someone to sit there nice and still for you for however what the duration is that you whether it's just a quick sketch if it's a quick sketch you might just they might just be sat there for 10 minutes if you're going to put some medium on there it's going to be a little bit longer if you're going to paint them they're going to be sat there for potentially hours and it's not fair to ask somebody to do that really unless they're going to sit there and watch tv um but then of course you're going to be slightly in their peripheral vision scratching away on a paper and it could be quite distracting but drawing from a photograph is incredibly challenging um which I suspect we're going to talk about a little bit um, later on um, as far as I know that you're going to ask about the pro- problems that, that I face. But um, I just love getting that um, uh, that character, trying to get that character with it within the face and the fact that everybody is different. I've never drawn somebody that was the same as drawing another person. Even though you go, oh, don't they look like so-and-so? They still won't be structured the same way. And I love the fact that every single person that you draw is different. And it pushes me and challenges me. And sometimes I'll look at a picture and think, oh, good God, not only have they got glasses, but they've got this going on. They've got that going on. They've got strange hair. All of those things you think, oh, shit. But it pushes me and um, it makes me do it. And I absolutely thrive on it. I absolutely love doing um, human portraiture. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. And it is it is a difficult um, thing to learn. Like you say, there's a lot of almost technical um, elements to portraiture and figure drawing as well with the mm. measurements and mm. you know and there's some shorthand that you learn where you know certain measurements are normally um the same in all faces you yeah know? so you'll find your anchor point maybe the the width of the nose or the width of an eye or whatever and, yeah. and that will be the thing that you use going forward yeah it's quite funny um, you should say that sorry to interrupt but if you draw the same person over and over again. So oftentimes you'll find that artists who do like portraiture will often draw themselves, which actually looks very um, narcissistic, but it's not because you are always available to draw, always. Mm. And it's really good practice. But I've actually found now that because I've drawn myself so often that I actually don't need to measure myself because I know the curve of my nose. I know um, the, 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 the curl of my lip. I know all the things. As awful as it is drawing yourself, because I don't even like looking at myself, let alone drawing myself, I can draw myself without even measuring because I've drawn myself so many times. And similarly to yourself, I've drawn you so many times, I don't even need to measure you now, which sounds very um, kind of uh, like I'm blowing my own trumpet here. It's not because it took me many years of, of measuring myself and you to get to that point. But when you get somebody new, you've got to do all the proper measurements until you're familiar with their face. Yeah, yeah. And just you talked a little bit about the technical process, but what's, what's your general process for approaching a, a portrait? Do you, do you kind of take as it comes? Do you have a very rigid style? Do you use any kind of gridding format? Um, you know, because that's, that's obviously works for a lot of people. And what mediums have you used? You know, because I know you've done work in all kinds of things from watercolour to charcoal to pencil but 
you know, do you want to just give uh, people listening an idea of different types of techniques you use in different types of mediums and, and things like that? Yeah. So it's it's funny when I was um, when I was teaching um, the art group, I was um, I used to say to them because sometimes they would come to the to the group and they'd say, "Well, I've heard that you do this, that, this, this, this," or "I've read that you do that, that, that," and they'd been to other. Um, kind of art groups in the past that maybe had been disbanded or they just weren't enjoying it and they'd been taught a very rigid way of doing things and I'm I don't teach like that when I teach I'm not rigid because sometimes people would come to my class and they say and and I'd do a demo with them and I'd say okay I'm going to demonstrate this to you and then we're going to all have a go ourselves but whenever I did a demo, I would always say, look, this is the way that I do it. And this is the way that I'm going to show you. But if you do it in a different way and it works for you, please carry on doing it that way because it works for you. Do not think that what I'm telling you is um, the be all and end all. And it's been written down in law that you have to do it like this because everybody works slightly differently. Like we've just been talking about the the technical side of, of drawing accurately. Yeah, there's no real way around of doing that. You, 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 there is a element of measuring of getting it right, but when it comes to doing other elements um, with drawing and painting, what have you, I personally will say there is no correct way of doing that. You do it what, however it works for you. So with that respect, I have a very particular way of doing things. But other people might look and go, "Oh, I wouldn't do it like that." You know, you've always got somebody who'll go, "Well, I wouldn't do it like that." That's, like, that's mm. fine. You don't do it like that. Then I'm not asking you to do it like that. And I was always very clear with that that I wasn't saying you should do it like this because then people would get really upset and go, "But, I, but I like doing that. Like this is yet yeah, go ahead and carry on doing it like that." You know, but what you might want to do is just alter the way you're doing this. So what I do is, and this again, I'm going to even say it on this podcast. This is just the way that I work, and I'm not saying this is the way that you should work. So when I get um, a portrait to do, and if it's particularly if it's a commission, but even if it's not a commission, I'll still work like this if I'm just doing it for myself, is I will, I've got a, um, uh, well, I've got multiple sketchbooks essentially, but I will do a very rough sketch first. And the reason for doing that is because I like to, first of all, figure out where it's going to be placed on the page. So if I'm going to be doing the final piece as A4, my rough sketch will be on an A4 sheet because I need to know where the placement's going to be on the page so I don't run out of space. Um, if it's going to be A5, it's exactly the same same thing. I will do a very rough sketch, but even though it's rough, I will still measure it. I will still do correct measurements. And the reason I do this is because I like to um, get a feel for the person. I like to get a feel for the shapes, the sizes, all the nuances of their face. Um, if they've got a straight, a straight, a strange angle on their nose, if they've got... Um, big ears, if their ears stick out, if they've got funny shaped ears, I like to get all that down into my rough sketch and make my mistakes in the rough sketch. Because you will, you will make mistakes. And I look at it and I correct them and then I figure out what it was that made me make that mistake. And it was probably just me mismeasuring. We all do it. I've mismeasured and thought, something's not quite right here. Or I'll draw it and go, that doesn't look right. Let me measure it. And I'll measure it. And it is right. It's just It just doesn't look right at that time, but I've measured it correctly. So I get the rough sketch correct I get that right and then oh and you asked about gridding I don't grid um again I'm not saying gridding is wrong I know a lot of people who grid I tried it once I just couldn't get I just couldn't figure it out I just couldn't get around to it that's on me it's nothing to do with the gridding process I just couldn't uh, work with it I find it a little bit rigid 
So I thought, no, I'm going to going to stay clear. And I like the fluidity of um, just drawing straight onto paper. I like my, if anybody's ever seen some of my rough pencil skates, they are really rough. I leave all the scratchy marks in there. And then what I do then is once I'm happy with my rough sketch, I then go on to the paper, the proper paper that I'm going to be using for the final piece, whether that's tinted paper, watercolour paper, whatever it may be. And then I draw it. Again, it's it's sketchy, but not as sketchy because I don't want to be spending half my time rubbing out the lines. But I draw in exactly the same fashion. I figure out where it's going to place on the page. I draw it out. If it's going to be done in coloured pencil, I will draw it out using one of the base colours that I'm going to be using for when I'm layering up the, the coloured pencil. So, for example, I might uh, draw it in a sort of burnt sienna, something like that, or a yellow ochre, depending on the paper. That way I can blend that pencil mark into the final piece. If it's um, a charcoal drawing, I will actually draw using a nitram stick. If any of you are familiar with, with charcoal of any sort, the nitram sticks have got that little bit more definition to them than, than a willow charcoal. Willow charcoal is very light. Nitram's still light and you can rub it off if you make a mistake. But you sharpen them to a point, these sticks, and they're really lovely for, for drawing out. If it's watercolour, I need to be super light with the pencil on that because I want to try and get rid of the pencil when I put the watercolour on. So I try and put very, very little pencil marks in there. But again, because I'm putting very little pencil marks, they've got to be accurate before I put the watercolour over because if they're not... The whole picture's, you know, gone to shit if it, if it doesn't look right. And you'll know straight away and you've just got to scrap it and start again. Um, and then I just work on that, that final piece. Sometimes I might do a couple of rough sketches. If the first rough, rough sketch, I just can't get it. And we've all been there where there's a particular drawing you just cannot get. And you think, good God, am I ever going to get this? And you normally find it's up when it's a commission and you're time limited. And you're thinking, bloody hell, I'm never going to get this done. Scrap it, walk away, do something else, come back, do that rough sketch again, and you'll you'll get it. It will it will click, and you can start on the on the final piece. I'm sorry, did I answer your question? Then I'm not sure I went off on a bit of a tangent. No, no, it's just the it's it like I say it's just to dig a bit more into what your actual process is because I know as we say, it's, you know, a lot of people start off by gridding the the paper out, um, and then almost mapping. Yeah, yeah. The whatever the drawing. I just found that too rigid. Well, I tried that once and. I don't know what happened, but by the time I'd finished, it looked like they were looking in the back of a spoon. <laughs> so um, I've never been able to grid anything no. out. Uh, you know, uh, it's very odd. I don't know. It must be something I'm doing. But no, so it was just that question around, you know, what, what mediums you've used. And, and do you have a preferred medium uh, or a medium that you haven't tried yet that mm. you want to you want to teach yourself? Because I know um, we used to use a lot of acrylics yeah. years ago and a lot of our portraits were done in acrylics. And I haven't painted in acrylics for um a good couple of years at least now but i still have this hankering to do it um but yeah are there any other kind of mediums you'd like to try yeah i've got to say you're right i used to use a lot of acrylic and i think since i haven't used acrylic and there's no other reason than than you know just time really i suppose and the fact you've got to wait for it to dry although it, it is got you know it's a quick dry medium but since not having used acrylic my uh i've my portrait has probably improved and my colour theories improved a little bit as well. And I think I'd like to go back and have another go at using acrylics. Right. But I suffer from that terrible um, thing of of time limitation. And that's really on me because I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is going to take time. And if it's crap, I'm going to have to scrap it. And at the moment, and don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining about this. At the moment, I've got quite a busy commissions book. You know, I've got quite a few commissions on, on the board or about I'm about to start a few commissions, which, again, is absolutely super and really pleased about. 
So I feel like I haven't got the time to be being frivolous with other mediums when I've got other stuff to be doing. But do you know what? I need to, to make that time because all of this is learning experience for me that just makes me a better artist because I'm always learning. I will always be learning till the day I die because the, the minute you turn around and go, I've learned everything I know and I'm done now, then, you know, there's something wrong. You, you, you never stop learning as an artist. But so I'd like to go and try my hand back with acrylics again, but I would really like to have a go at oil colours. And I went on a course a good few years ago now um, in Manchester using oil paints, having never used them before. And I absolutely loved it. But I loved it because somebody was instructing me and they were telling me what to use, what to do, what brush to use, how to put the paint down. And although my finished painting was, wasn't, wasn't all that good, the skills that I learned with that was just, oh, I just really, really loved it. Mm. But again, oils are a different beast to acrylics. You've got your time. You've got to wait for them to dry. It's smelly. It's messy. And it's time consuming. And at the moment, because I, I well, I say at the moment, I've always got lots of stuff going on in my life, really. But it's kind of, I've got lots of stuff going on. And I'm wondering, can I spare that time mm. to be to have the luxury of getting all my oil paints out and all the, yeah. the you know the thinners and all the smells and I'd need to have a fairly good day to open all the windows and mm. not give myself a headache and I just keep putting myself off but I do that with a lot of things I, th I think about it too much and I put myself off I did that with charcoal put myself off and then ended up being one of the my, my most favorite mediums to use you know so who knows if I get myself sorted and start using oil colors i might find it you know it opens up new yeah. paths for me i was gonna ask you that because i know you work in charcoal and watercolor and color pencils mm, as well mm. things like that. And, and what's your what's your favorite you know at the moment if somebody oh. said i'm on a portrait commission yeah um and you can do it in any medium what yeah. would you go to charcoal. Default? charcoal charcoal straight away and that's not to the detriment of, of color pencils or watercolors i absolutely love them as well but i think the thing with charcoal um, and there's two there's two sides to this, actually. The thing with charcoal is I love the immediacy of it. Right. Um, unlike pe colour pencil where you have to build up the layers. So you put your... Just to explain to you how, how I use colour pencil, again, the caveat is you don't have to use colour pencils like this, but I do, is I build up the layers. I get my palette of colours together and I build up the layers. There's, a, there's an undertone layer, then there's another layer, and you build them and build them and build them up. You can't just go in like really hard with the colour because right. then it'll look crap and you'll get a shine on it. So you build up layers. But, so it takes time. And sometimes I can be a little bit impatient thinking, is this bloody picture ever going to come together? And then suddenly you'll be working on a on a, a, a layer that you've got, yep, it's coming together now. With charcoal, there's, there's for me personally, I see a very immediate thing going on. So I get the underlayer in. Um, and the way I work with charcoal, if anybody's interested in this, is I layer... I get rid of all the white on the paper. I work on good quality white cartridge paper. I get rid of all the white by laying down some willow charcoal and smudging it all in. And then I use that as my base colour, so to speak, if you if you want to think of it in terms of colour, even though it's black and white. And then draw over that. And then I'm immediately putting um, shades in there. I'm immediately working. I flip between light and dark, light and dark, light and dark. So I get my dark in there. And the light is the putty rubber, is taking the charcoal off. You put it back in, you take it off. You put it back in, you and that's our work. And you can see the, and I can, if I work consistently without any distractions, like don't eat, don't look at social media, don't faff about, I can have a charcoal, a full charcoal painting, to, to call it a painting, I can get a full one done in about two hours if I do nothing but focus on that 
I don't even go to the loo. I just do the whole thing. Uh-huh. And I love the immediacy of it and I love the messiness of it as well because I'm covered in it. I've got my apron on, but I'm covered in it. I forget, I scratch my face and I'm an absolute mess. And that's the bit I love about it. It's a little bit dusty, admittedly. Open a window, but there's no smell. Mm. There's no waiting for things to dry. Yeah, I'm covered in it. It's all up my arm. I've I've wiped my, my hands down my pants. Don't ever wear white if you ever do go down Chargill route. But I absolutely love it. It's probably one of my favourite mediums. Fantastic. And, you know, recently as well, you've also branched out into a different type of portraiture, shall we say. I have indeed, um, yeah. Because now you're, you're specialising in pet portraits. And yeah. I know that last few months you've been, and, and even currently, you know, you've got a, a you know, huge commissions list of um, people waiting for their pet portraits. I have indeed. Um, so how did that come about? And, you know, what, and are there specific difficulties with drawing pets as opposed to drawing people? Or is it pretty much the same stuff? So, pet portraits. I'll, I'll Full disclosure here. I said a couple of years ago, um, I hate drawing pets. Hate drawing animals. Hate drawing animals can't do it. So because I couldn't do it, I hated it. You know, it's the same with anything, isn't it? Anything in Mm -hmm. life. If you can't do something, you hate it. And then when you find that you can do it, whether that's by chance, you go, oh, I didn't know I could do that, or by sheer kind of determination and patience and you can do it and you go, I like it now. It's a bit like coding. If you think about coding, if you can't code, you hate it. If you can code, you go, oh, I love coding. It's great. It's bloody great. And you would try and then tell other people how great coding is. And they go, no, it's not. It's boring. You know, whatever. It's, It's whatever floats your boat. And it's the same with, with any kind of um, topic, shall we say, such as um, landscapes and things like that. I'm not the best landscape artist by any stretch. I made myself do it for uh, when I was teaching the art group because if I'm going to make them do something, I've got to do it myself first. But it's not my go-to. If somebody said, what do you prefer to do? It would be portraiture. But with the pet portraiture, I always said, can't draw, can't draw dogs, can't draw cats. No, 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 no. And then just... I don't know why I did it, but back in, I think it was about 2018, something like that, I drew my sister-in-law's dog for her for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm, actually, that's not bad. Don't get me wrong. I, I've seen much better, but I've seen much worse as well. And I drew it and I thought, I actually quite like that. And I thought, hmm, I, I, I'm sure she will like it because she, she will. She loves everything you do for her anyway. So I put it up on social media because at the time she wasn't on social media. So I could put it on there and she, I knew she wouldn't see it. And it completely blew up. People went, oh, my God, this is lovely. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, and, and again, I lack, I am I'm crippled by lack of confidence in pretty much anything that I do. So putting something on social media, even now, I take, it takes me a while. I'm a, I'm a long time clicking on the, the post button because mm. I, I, I sit in, I sit in that camp where I think, oh, will people think that I'm doing it to, for the likes? Do people think that I think I'm the best thing since sliced bread? Or, you know, people going, oh, who does she think she is? I, I, I struggle, I suffer. And I think most people do suffer yeah, from this chronic... Yeah, the artist's curse, oh, isn't it? Oh, God. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I do, I worry about what people might think about me. Oh, who does she think she is? But, you know, if you don't put stuff out there, how the hell are people going to know that exactly. you're doing stuff? Yeah. So I put this dog out. Um, Honey. Honey, I think her name is, yeah. And people absolutely loved it. And I thought, oh, oh, okay. Um, so I started doing some just for practice. You know, just I'd, I'd see a dog... Um, on on social media, somebody's dog, whether it be somebody's famous, you know, somebody who's famous. Again, I would never dream of, of selling that because that's somebody's dog, you know, that, that they haven't certainly haven't asked to have it done. And um, it 
it basically grew from there. So people started saying, oh, oh do, do you do commissions? Yeah, of course I can. You know, we, we had the business so I could legitimately take mm. take commissions. And then before I knew it, I was doing commissions for dogs, cats. I haven't done any other pet animals such as a guinea pig or a rabbit as of yet. I've certainly drawn other animals to widen my portfolio. But um, at one point, I think last last year, I did eight commissions for one person that went over to America, which, you know, I was I was absolutely beside yeah. myself. I was so pleased with that. Yeah. And I've got to say, from going from somebody who didn't like drawing animals because I couldn't do it, I started doing them and I, I, you know, in my own opinion, I got that little bit better. As you do, the more you do, the, the better you become. And I absolutely love drawing animals now. I, I re- and if anybody what, like follows us on, on our art 92 account or follows me on my personal account will know I love to draw animals. And with regard to what you were saying, is, is the process the same? Yes, it is, believe it or not. Of course, animals don't adhere to a set structure of measurements. Um, and p- cats can be particularly difficult to draw. And I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute, but... I do exactly the same. My process is, is the same. I get a scrap of paper with sketchbook or whatever. If my pet portrait is going to be A4, I will do a rough A4 sketch. If it's going to be A5, I'll do the A5 sketch. I need to get that right on that first. What you don't want is, you know, one eye bigger than the other. Although sometimes when you look at a, a, a photograph, because obviously drawing from life with animals is a no-no. You're never going to do it. So you look at the photograph and yeah, it their angle might be that the one eye's slightly closed. That's that's the way it is. But you've got to make sure that the head's the right size compared to the ears, compared to the nose, all that kind of stuff. And again, you need to find anchor points with, with an animal. They don't adhere to the rules that we use for, for humans. But you will find an anchor point. You will find that the corner of the eye might go in line with the edge of the nose if they've got quite a big nose. Dogs, dogs actually work quite well doing that. Cats... They don't anchor to anything. So what you have to do with the cat is, with the cats that I've drawn anyway, is you have to get something in as your anchor point and then do multiple measurements around various things. And sometimes it's a leap of faith. You have to put something in, do a lot of observational, you know, look at the paint, uh, the photograph, look at yours, look at the photograph and keep flitting between until you find something that is right. And then once you've got a couple of points in, then you can use those as anchor points and start measuring around. The last cat I drew uh, was, was a charcoal it was a bloody nightmare and I couldn't get it right at all and it took me such a long time to do it so the process is the same as far as how I work and then again if it's a coloured pencil it's layering it's layering it up layering it up layering. if it's a charcoal it's just light and dark you know and I love drawing animals in charcoal particularly fluffy ones um, I drew my friend's dog um, Dylan beautiful dog and he's got lots of curly hair he's a border collie and uh, it's just, it's lovely to render that in charcoal. It, it lends itself well to charcoal, put it that way. And I forgot what the other question was. Oh, it was about the, the um, difficulties yeah. with stuff like that. Yeah, because we know it's difficult enough drawing people. Yeah, But yeah. when you're talking about somebody's beloved pet. Absolutely. So it, I work on the same kind of um, path, if you like. So if somebody requests a, a human portrait. Yeah. I will ask them for a number of photographs of that person if they have them, of course, because I'm working off a photograph. Chances are I've never met that person. So if you know somebody and I'm, I'm hoping I get I, I try and explain this and I come across OK with this. If you know somebody, you know all the nuances associated with that person. You know that twinkle in their eye. You'll know the way they hold their mouth, the way they smile, if they've got a wonky smile. 
You'll know their mannerisms and you'll know the way they, they stand or the way they smile. You know all that. I don't. So when you look at a photograph of that person that you know, it may not be the most flattering of photographs, put it that way. And it may be a bit of a dull photograph, a bit of a bland photograph. But you will, without realising it, you will overlay all those personal nuances that you know about that person onto that photograph. You don't know you're doing it, but you will. Mm -hmm. And you will overlay that and you will see that. And the photograph might be where they're not looking at the best and they might be a bit um, miserable or, you know, they're not smiling. You know that person to be a vivacious, vibrant person. And you know that's not a true depiction of them. So you will naturally overlay that person on that photograph and that's what you see. Mm. I can't see that, you know. So I have had in the past where people have sent me a photograph. It's not been the most flattering photograph, but I didn't know that. I don't know that person. You've just sent me a photograph of that person. Mm. I've rendered them and they've come back and gone, I really don't like it. It doesn't look like that person. It's like, but it, it looks like the photograph. So it might not look like the person the human person, mm. but it looks like the photograph. So they've ended up having to send me more photographs. And I didn't take it on as a personal attack on me because all I did was render the photograph. And it's exactly the same with an animal. So with an animal, you know all their nuances. You know that quirky cock of the head that they've got. You know that the photograph, they might look a bit more... Um, they might have more subdued colours on their coat in that photograph, but in real life, they're much more vibrant or vice versa. They might not have that twinkle in their eye in the photograph, but me as an artist, I will put a twinkle in their eye to give them that, you know, um, that spark, if you like. They might not have a shine on the nose, but I will give them a flare shine on the nose. But all I can do is take what you give me off that photograph. So again, I will ask people for a number of photographs of their pet and then indicate to me which one, which angle they would prefer if it's blurred, because again, sometimes people will send me a photograph where the animal's far too far away, it's blurred, they're looking the wrong way, but they want the, the, the cat, the dog, looking at the camera. It's like, well, you know, I'm an artist, not a miracle worker. <laughs> I, I need, if you want that animal drawing, looking at the camera, I really need a photograph where it's looking at the camera. It's difficult sometimes if that cat or dog has subsequently passed away and you've got a limited number of photographs, I'll do my best. And most times people go, I totally get that. I know you'll do your best. It's all I've got, I'm afraid. And I'll just do my best working yeah. off the colourings. Because I've had that with people who have gone, this is the angle that I want, but can you take the colourings off this photograph? It's like, yeah, I can do that. I can bring those two together. Mm. But with things like that, and similarly with um, human portraiture, when I do my base sketch, I will send that base sketch off to the client and say, this is what it's going to look like. Are you happy with that? Because they might look at it and go, oh, actually, that's not what I was thinking about. That's not what I was anticipating. It's like, well, if that's not what you anticipate, you need to give me another photograph because that's what I'm working off. So I did a, a, a human portraiture um, oh, a couple of weeks ago now. And it was, it was, I was, I was nervous about doing it, I've got to say, because um, the client had asked me to take a, he gave me a photograph of sadly deceased um, grandparents, which wasn't the best of photographs. I've had worse, but it wasn't the best of photographs. And could I put those two people in that photograph with a current up-to-date photograph of um, a younger member of the family who'd just become a dad? And I thought, oh my God, I'm looking at a photograph of people who I don't know if their heights are correct. If you, do you know what I mean? When I'm putting two, yeah. you know people together... Would the younger member of the family be taller than them? The likelihood is because they were older and old people shrink. 
Um, I had to get the the uh, the size of their faces correct because you know what you don't want is someone like huge at the front and and so I did this. I did a rough sketch of how I perceived it to be. Sent it off to the clients. They came back and went, "That's great, but could you just put them um, towards the to put the grandpets towards the back and bring the the lad towards the front? Not a problem." Did another rough sketch. He came back, thumbs up, perfect. And the, and then I just worked on it from that. Mm. So it's that um, it's that initial is this right kind of thing, and it's difficult when I have to go back to a client and go, "I'm really sorry, but the photographs you've sent me are, are not ideal. Do you have any others for me?" Because I could take a leap of faith and go, all right, I reckon they probably want this. But you should never reckon people want that because the chances are they want completely opposite to what you think. So you've got to get that right because at the end of the day, I pour everything into every piece that I do and I want to get it right. And at the end of the day, the client's paying and they've got to like it. Yeah. You know, It's got to look like their pet, particularly if it's sadly deceased. They're going to be giving it to somebody else. Chances are it's going to be a gift. It's got to be right because I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I didn't make sure it was right because the last thing I want is people bad-mouthing me on social media going, oh, it was bloody rubbish. You know, I want it to be right. And I also want to be, um, you know, a good person to deal with as well. I want people to feel they can deal with me okay and be honest and go, actually, it's not what I was anticipating. Fine, let's go back and let's do that again, you know. So, yeah, in answer to your question, in, in a short answer, essentially... Human portraiture and pet portraiture, yes, they're two very different beasts, of course they are, but the process and the whole path that I go down to to um, to draw them and to work with the clients is exactly the same and they have exactly the same problems and issues. It's somebody's grandparents, it's somebody's dad, mum, son, daughter, sister, brother, it's somebody's beloved pet. It means something to somebody, so it's got to be right and they've got to they've got to like it at the end of the day. Yeah, so it's kind of what you're saying is it's about getting that balance between it being accurate, yes, but having more of an essence of yes. the person or the pet about it. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I, that's a that's a really good word because uh, I asked, I went retrospectively back to some of my pet portrait clients, and I asked them, particularly the ones that were were you know were openly vocal about being super happy about right. the, the portrait and I asked them if they wouldn't mind giving me some testimonials so I could put on on our website and have okay. a dedicated pet portrait page and somebody said to me and it really did make my day he said you've captured the essence of my boy and I thought oh, that's a, that's great yeah. that's what I wanted to do is is off that photograph did I did I capture the essence particularly it was it, as it was um, a dog that had sadly passed away fairly recently and somebody else just out of just as a, as a good deed, had got me to, uh, to do a, a pet portrait for them. And they absolutely loved it and loved it so much, they asked me to do another one right. for somebody else. And I thought, that's that's a really, yeah. you know, that's a good testimonial, yeah. that, isn't it, really? And when they said they, you'd captured the essence, you you, you made me cry in, in you know tears of joy. And then they come back and went, will you do me another one? Then then the heat was on. I was really nervous about it. And I went, oh, mm. I said, of course I can, but there might be some slight nuances with it because I don't, I don't grid, I just draw, so there might be some slight differences, yeah. but I'll, I'll get it accurate. And they went, no, no, I, t- I totally understand. Again, super, super pleased with the second one as well. Mm. So I had a lot of experience drawing that dog, and he was a lovely dog to draw as well. So. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, it's like, if it's super realist, nothing nothing against super realism, because it's a, it's a skill that, you know, I can't do. And it, Neither can I. Neither can I. It's a thing to be able to do. But sometimes it can appear a little bit, flat yeah and i don't if it looks like a photograph then you know you you could argue well why would you re-render what is going to look like a photograph yeah 
But if you think of other artists who, who maybe play with the accuracy of the features or the people, but capture the essence of them. I mean, if you think about the extremes of, of caricature artists like Tom Richmond and people like that, Mort Drucker from Mad. Mm. Now, the drawings and the, the renderings they did of people weren't exactly accurate, but they were accurate of a representation of what that person was. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, and you yeah. think about Scarf and people like that. Oh, yeah. Stedman. Yeah. You know, again, you know, they, they render the essence of the people mm. over essentially, you know, the the frame of what that person looks like mm. to really emphasise, you know, what that person is. And, and I think it's a balance between the two, isn't it? Yeah, really? you're absolutely you right. Know? And at no point have I, have I ever claimed to be a realist artist. If you look at all of my hashtags, I never put real art, realism, photo photorealistic. I never put that in because I don't claim to be. Mm. But, and again, again, please don't get me wrong, Realist art, I hold my hands up and say, yeah. wow, that is bloody incredible. And I've got to say, I cannot fault it. It's absolutely yeah. spectacular. Yeah. But that takes skill. It takes time. And if I really, really wanted to, I could I could channel my time into trying to become a realist artist. But because I don't, I don't want to say I don't like realist art. I, I can admire it for its mm. technical, you know, amazingness, for want of a better word. But I don't want to be a realist artist. Yeah. I like to have, if I'm painting, I like to see brush strokes. When I'm doing my coloured pencil, you can, you know, you can see, you can see it's, it's a drawing. You can see it's a painting. You would never mistake it for a photograph, put it that way. But it, there's something that um, when you interviewed Ryan Brown, something Ryan Brown said about art being believable. And if I, if my art and my portraits are believable, people believe it to be that person, yeah. even though it's not photorealistic, then I'm really happy. I just want to, as long as... As long as it looks like that pet or person, yeah, then then I've done my job, you know. And like I say, I've, I I follow quite a lot of artists on on Instagram, and there's a lovely artist artist on there who paints in oils and she paints pets, and they are beautiful. And you see every brush stroke, and she doesn't paint every fur, every every you know hair on there. It's just a series of of little brush strokes and oil, and they are beautiful. You can tell their paintings. Mm absolutely spectacular and I think oh gosh and that she also makes me want to try and paint in oil again but I don't think I'd ever ever be as good as her but yeah it's about it's about the believability yeah. of it yeah. yeah and for anyone listening you can still listen to the Ryan Brown episode The Art of Ryan Brown which is brilliant it's superb um, originally yeah. titled there uh, it's available in the archives so feel free it's another a bit like this it's another fascinating look at process um, well, I hope it's fascinating. I hope it's not boring. It's a it's a fascinating look at process about the actual mechanics of, of creating that art. Yeah. Okay, so just think about your pet portraits then. And I know you've done quite a range of different I have now, pets yeah. and breeds. Is there a particular breed of cat or dog that you haven't been commissioned to do yet that you'd really like to have a crack at? Yeah, I tell you what I haven't done yet. And I think I'd really like to have have a go at, and I don't know anybody that has one, and nobody's actually commissioned me yet. It's probably a Dalmatian. No, interesting. Um, because you know, if you, if you take away the 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 markings of a Dalmatian, yeah. they are just a. Uh, just, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to animals, but they are just a standard dog. There's nothing unusual about their their structure, their shape, their their face. But put the markings on. There's something quite spectacular about them. I think. Mm. So I'd like to do um, a Dalmatian, and. Possibly now these next two are things that would really push me out of my comfort zone, but that's what I like about doing art. Probably a Sharpe. You know those really wrinkly dogs that have got like folds oh, yeah, and folds. Yeah. So I think I'd like to do a Sharpe. And I think I'd like to do now I've done um a kind of 
very quick sketch of one of these, but it was one of these very quick sketch, this is how you draw a cat. I think I'd like to do um, a Sphinx cat. And that would be one hell of a challenge. If any of you don't know what they are, they are those bald cats. Um, I think they're Sphinx cats, aren't they? Completely bald and they're covered in folds of skin. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they look really, they're, like, they're quite alien-esque. You know, only a mother could love them. But I think I'd like to do one of them. Um, and really challenge myself to, to try and get that. There is one that I, I follow on Instagram, actually, that I might just try and, you know, um, capture and just do. N- not to, for the thing of selling it, because I, I couldn't, because it's not mine, but just to have a go, really. Mm. And sometimes I, when I was first doing pet portraiture, I would kind of um, troll social media. And if any of my friends had posted photographs of their of their animals, I'd capture them and I'd just draw them and I'd, I'd show them and go, hey, what do, what do you think? You know, I'm just using them for practice. So there's a lot of breeds I hadn't done. So I just captured, I know friends had very specific breeds like uh, Border Terriers, Yorkshire Terriers, Shih Tzus, that kind of thing. Um, And of course, fairly recently, I ventured down the the path of greyhounds because I hadn't drawn a greyhound until I'd done one for a client. And of course, for any of you who do know, we just have recently adopted a greyhound. So he is going to be drawn to within an inch of his life, no doubt. But I do need to sort of venture further than just greyhounds and do uh, other things. Because I have done recently as well, I did um, a giraffe and a peacock and an elephant. So again, for any, any of you out there, I do draw other animals. So I just, they're actually off mm. photographs that I had taken photographs in, in zoos and stuff. So technically I could then turn them into something um, commercial because I took the photograph and there's no copyright issues. But again, pushing myself out my comfort zone, you know, have a go at drawing other things that have very, very different um, structures to them that, that don't meet any kind of, you know, measuring criteria. It's really good. It's good practice as an artist to draw yeah. other things, you know. Okay. So if anybody out there is listening and you've got a Dalmatian or a bald cat. Yes, please. Um, yes. Or a wrinkly dog, then by all means, you know, give H a shout. Yeah. And she'll, um, she'll be more than happy to have a look at uh, doing a sketch with it, I would imagine. And if you want to commission it, that's even better. Even better, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I know you've got quite a lot of commissions on the go and I know you've got your current commission list open. Yeah. I believe there's not many slots left on that. It's uh, It was weird because I put something out for... Um, I, know, I know it's, you know, probably the last thing on people's minds at the moment is Christmas because it's going to be a bit of a strange and difficult Christmas. Mm. But I put out a thing to say, look, my commission book is open if you want to think about that for Christmas, if you want, whether it be a gift for a family member or just a gift for yourself. Because I, I did do a commission a few months back now for a gentleman I said, do you have a deadline for it? Is it for a specific birthday? He said, no. He said, it's just to cheer the family up. And I thought, do you know what? I don't blame yeah. him, you know. Yeah. So I put that out and I got quite a lot of response. And it's like, oh, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's filling up pretty quickly. So uh, that's what I'm going to be doing after I've recorded this podcast is is start work on some, you know, some commissions. OK, and we'll put some links if you are interested in, in seeing H's Pet Portraits and, and the work she does and, and you're interested in looking at any commissions or anything, then we'll put the links out as well. Um, so what other projects have you got on the boil then other than drawing cats and dogs for the next foreseeable few weeks? So um, the main project at the moment is bedding in our new boy, our new uh, greyhound. So that's that's one project that on, on the side there. But that, you know, that's obviously not artist, artist related. As far as projects, um, I had a, a bit of a, a flurry of activity just as we went into lockdown because before lockdown, I actually started up a YouTube channel with the idea of, uh, just putting various bits and pieces on them. And as we went into lockdown, I started doing these little mini tutorials and they were kind of, you know, five to 12 minutes long or something like that. And it was basically how to draw cats and dogs and other animals in dead, simple shapes, you know, simple circles, ovals, lines, 
completely free. You can yeah. just come along and have a look. You got my uh, my dulcet tones narrating it. And I just thought, you know what? If it makes some people happy, it gives them something to do. If they land on it, they think, oh, I'll have a go at this, you know. And it turned out that people were using it to do homeschooling. Because obviously, you know, I, I completely didn't think about the home homeschooling side of it. And I thought with homeschooling, probably the, the art, shall we say, might have taken a back seat. Because yeah. people, yeah. at the end of the day, kids need to, to read, they need to write, they need to do maths and that kind of stuff. But what people were telling me is they were using th- these little tutorials for the art side of the homeschooling. Which I thought, really nice idea. I was really flattered by that. And then somebody said to me, have you, have you got any kind of um, written kind of documentation for it? And I thought, oh, actually, no, I haven't. So I ended up writing um, a little booklet, a little instructional booklet, Drawing Dogs and Cats Made Easy. Dirt cheap. I, th- I think it was 2 50 or 3 quid or something like that. And then people started buying that to do uh, the homeschooling, which was really nice. You know, I d- don't get me wrong, I didn't expect it to fly off the shelves. It was just a little something that I put together, which was really nice. I wouldn't mind doing a little follow-up, actually, with other animals. But the YouTube channel took a little bit of a, a, a back seat because I spent quite a few weeks completely immersing myself into starting up a Patreon channel. Right. So for those of you who don't know, Patreon is essentially a subscription channel for artistic endeavours. So that could be music, writing, poetry, art, uh, filmmaking, you know, animation, that kind of stuff. So people were, were you know, some people, don't get me wrong, nobody was knocking on the door, beating down the door, but people were asking, you know, do you have a channel or do you have something I can go to? And I thought, well, I don't, I've got YouTube, but it would would be nice if I could monetize it in some capacity because at the end of the day you know artists are always starving so I needed to uh to, to do something with that so I plowed a lot of time and energy into, into that and started up this um Patreon channel I had a few hiccups along the way but it, it's, it's up and running and as with any artistic endeavor in fact as with any endeavor mm-hmm. things are slow burners things mm-hmm. take time and I'm not one of these people that thinks you know oh I've put something out there why aren't I having 100 likes why aren't people subscribing I'm not like that I'm, I'm you know I'm not impatient I totally get it and of course in the current climate and people's situations people don't have that money to be subscribing to something it's a luxury and I'm completely aware of something like this is a complete luxury I get that but the channel's there and if somebody drops on it and wants to subscribe they, they can do I'll be releasing some more content onto it um probably the end of September because I've got a back catalogue of content ready to go and right. to go on there um, and I really I really enjoyed it. it it's kind of I know this sounds really stupid because for anybody who's not artist they, they, they might not understand this but they might understand it in a different side of their lives so when you're doing art you get into something called flow and you're drawing and you can think about nothing but what you're doing so you get it's it's a it's a term that they use for surfboarding and you're on a surfboard and you get into this moment you get into this this kind of you hit it just perfect you hit the perfect wave you hit the perfect momentum and it's called flow and you can think of nothing else and you you reach a high essentially it's a bit like a runner's high if anybody runs out there you'll know what I mean when I refer to the runner's high before I was a runner I didn't know what that meant but I know exactly what that means now and that's getting into flow and that's what I was like when I was doing the videos, when I was creating all these videos for the Patreon channel. I really got into this flow. I had all my little setup and I was narrating it. And it also made me slow down a bit. And it made me kind of understand um, what I was doing. And that sounds really stupid, of course. I, I should understand what I'm doing as an artist. But it made me break down all my steps into um, structured steps that I could then narrate and explain to the viewer, the listener, what on earth I was doing. And I, I really immersed myself in it and I absolutely enjoyed every single second of it. 
So there were some times where I was doing some of the videos where I'd go completely quiet, forget I was meant to be narrating it. And I'd go really quiet. And then I'd actually pop up and go, oh, sorry about that. I've gone a bit quiet there <laughs> because I was I was in the flow. So what I ended up doing is um, on the videos, I would, when I was editing them, I'd put a little sort of speech bubble that come up and go, don't worry, it has gone quiet here. You, you know, your, your, your speakers haven't gone, your headphones haven't gone, have gone quiet because I didn't really need to talk about what I was doing. I was doing some layering, which I'd already discussed. So I was working on that and I will be continuing to work on that. And what I'll probably do is be realistic about this and I'll leave the Patreon channel probably for a year and see if I get any subscribers. If I don't, then, you know, I'll, I'll keep adding to it, adding to it. You know, I'm not paying for the, the, if anybody knows how Patreon works, you don't pay to have it, but you um, have to give a, a so much percentage of what you make off it. So if nobody's subscribing, I ain't paying any money. So no biggie if I just leave it flowing and, you know, as the world changes and we hopefully, you know, start to come out of this and start getting some kind of, to use a, a terrible word that is not my favourite at the moment, get some kind of normalcy back, which is a long time off, I think. You know, people might find they've got some extra money, might subscribe to it. So I've been working on that. And quite rightly, like you just said, I've got quite a big commissions list to get working on. I've got to send a few emails off, acknowledging emails um, off today, to say I've got the stuff and I've got the pictures and I start working on them. So it's always quite exciting to start a new project because it's a, it's something, you know, a new animal I've not done before, as in that specific animal, that cat, that dog. Um, and it's always nerve wracking sending off the proof. Is this OK? So it's it's a whole process that I really kind of um, really throw myself into because every piece that I do, um, I pour everything into it. I pour lots of love into it, lots of time into it. You know, I don't just do it slapdash. I take every single one um, personally and I do it really, really carefully. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so my biggest project, project at the moment is um, the Christmas commissions list that I've made my bookings. Uh, book that I've just opened if anybody's interested and of course not forgetting that we need to crack on with pre-mortis issue two yes um, we do yes sorry uh, some people have asked us about when is yeah. this coming and we went oh yeah yeah we'll, we'll probably have it done by Halloween this year because we, we, we launched it around Halloween last year but you know I, I think we can be forgiven for for in the current climbs and various things that have been going on and it's just t- taking a bit of a back yeah. seat really but we will get there noodling with ideas and we will get there yeah and it's on un- it, you know it is in progress so it will be appearing sometime soon it might have a greyhound in it you don't know <laughs> well you know cujo yeah <laughs> yeah Stephen King. Although I pujo think, more like <laughs> i think our greyhound's more in danger of um moping all over you yeah oh god um, yeah you know yeah. rather than anything else because he's not exactly uh, mr sleeps not exactly a guard dog is he no no um, that's brilliant. So that's really, really interesting stuff. And it's interesting to know um, what projects you're working on at the moment. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, you know, your your teaching element. I know you were in in discussions to deliver some workshops before yes, lockdown. And yeah, is that something that you're still yeah, considering? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I'd actually, um, I, I, obviously, I already mentioned I stepped away from the art group. Don't get me wrong, I loved prepping for the art group. I loved teaching people. I loved seeing their faces. I loved that light bulb moment. And when they'd, when they'd come over to me and go, look, I've, I've done it. I've finished this painting. And it was, you know, I just loved all aspect of it because I, I'd love to, to teach. I love to impart knowledge. And it wouldn't really matter what I was teaching, if I'm honest. If I was teaching basket weaving, I'd just enjoy, you know, helping people, facilitating people to be better better at whatever it is I'm teaching them. And if mm. it helps people to be better artists. And the main thing about being a better artist, um, again, people might kind of disagree with me on this. 
Um, what you need to become a better artist is the obvious, that's being able to draw and be able to observe, but you need confidence. And that's what a lot of the art group lacked. I gave them the skill insofar as that I could teach them how to measure, how to uh, do perspective, how to draw a face accurately, how to layer down um, uh, mediums, how to... I could teach them all that. That is teachable. What I can't teach them is confidence. And because they lacked that confidence, they'd put the marks down on the paper and they'd go, mm, oh, oh, or they'd be too frightened to put the marks down on the paper. And they'd end up leaving with nothing. They'd end up leaving with, with just some, some scraps of, um, you know, lines on a paper, on a page, and nothing really coming of it. But the confidence thing, that's when I saw people grow. Because they'd go, oh, I, yeah, I'll do that. I'll try that. I'll have a go at that um, medium, that acrylic that I've never, ever used before. You know, I, di I didn't make them go into it sort of straight at the beginning if they didn't have the confidence because they would never have painted. But for me, confidence is what makes um, a good artist because once you've got the confidence to do something, you will naturally do more and more practice, more and more practice, and it all comes together in one nice, nice little lump. So... The teaching side of stuff, that's that's my my passion. I love to import knowledge. Not because I love the sound of my own voice, far bloody from it. You know, if I listen to this back, I'm not going to like my own voice. I never do. I just like to help people to become better artists, essentially, to um, find their their place in the art world. So, yeah, you're right. I, I stepped away from the, the art group, but I missed it. I missed that teaching ele element of it because... Um, in day-to-day -day life, I don't teach. That's not what I do. So um, I'd actually had set up some um, art workshops in Manchester that were all set up on Eventbrite. And they were going to be drawing cats and dogs, essentially. Like a two, two and a half hour um, session. And um, they were set up in um, Cass Art in Manchester because they have a lovely little gallery space underneath. And they, they were all set up, ready to go. I had people booking on them. And then, of course, we, we got hit with the pandemic. And quite rightly, they got cancelled. Who's going to want to sit in a, a small room with people you don't know what's what's flying around so um because of that because I couldn't do that and I do love to sort of try and help people that's when Patreon um kind of you know uh planted a seed in my mind that I could try and at least impart knowledge but virtually and then from that I've also been noodling with the idea of doing some live streaming sessions you know like an Eventbrite thing where you pay for your, you pay your ticket and then you Either you can draw along with me, you know, draw along with H kind of thing, or you can just sit and watch and, and you get involved if you want to. Um, I'm still in the process of trying to figure out how I can do this um, because technology can sometimes let you down. We live in an area where the broadband can be a little bit tweaky sometimes. And the last thing I want to do is people pay money. They watch me and I freeze. You know, they're just watching me stood there looking at them at the most worst moment in time, just when I'm picking my nose or something. So it's um, it's something that I'm still noodling with. I, I like the idea of being able to stand and, and kind of impart knowledge and answer questions, live stream questions, you know, on a chat board and things like that. So it's something I'm thinking about. But in the meantime, I've still got my commissions list to get to be get, getting done. So that's, again, taking a bit of a back back seat at the moment so great and then that's um that's been fascinating and what we'll do in a minute we'll go on to links to all these things so you can see the youtube channel and, and the patreon channel things like that but no it's been really interesting to look at the process side of portraiture and maybe some of the um things that people don't think about yeah when it comes to doing a portrait yeah that it isn't just you know getting a super realist accurate 
blankness. There are other things to consider. Mm. Believability so, and, and the essence. I, yeah. like, I like that word, the, the essence of them, whether that be a person or, a, or a, an animal. It's getting the essence of that person from what is essentially a flat photograph that yeah. might be badly lit as well. You know? Oh, yeah, usually. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, thanks for giving up your time to talk about all that. No, thank you. I'm sure people have really enjoyed it. I know I have. I hope so. Um, I mean, you know, it's something a bit different, isn't it? And you get to get to hear me waffle about my process. And if you think, oh, well, I hadn't really thought about that. Oh, I didn't know that. If that helps to sort of, you know, um, shed some light on it, then that's great. Great. So do you want to give people some links as to where they can find your work? They can look at your work, some of the the examples of the work you've been talking about. Yeah, of course. Um, Social media links, web links. Sure. So the the most obvious one, obviously, is the um, is the website, which is art92.com. Um, and that's all um, letters and there's no numbers in there. And on there, we've got our own separate pages of work. But more recently, I put up a page of um, pet portraiture so people could go straight to that page and have a look just purely at, at animals. And I also put some testimonials on there. I asked people for some testimonials and asked for their permission to put them on. And, and they very kindly did um, take time as well to write some really nice words, which is which is really lovely. Um, so that's art92.com. And then on the socials, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, it's at art92. So we have personal, uh, or I have a personal account on there, but it's it's got all kinds of stuff in there. If you're not interested in, in um, our new dog and, and running, then, you know, so it's better to sort of go on the Art92 side of things. And then if you go onto YouTube, if you're interested in the, in the little mini tutorials that I did, admittedly, I've not posted anything for a while. If you just go onto YouTube and search for Art92, that'll be on there. And then most recently, if you're interested in having a look, you know, you don't see a great deal because it's obviously locked down unless you subscribe. But if you go to patreon.com forward slash art92, I'm on there and it's called Helena Studio. Um, so you can you can have a look at the kind of things that you're going to see, the different um, layering prices on there as well, what you'll get for your, your um, subscription if you wanted to. There's even a layer on there where you don't actually get anything, but you're just supporting me as an artist, and that's for a pound. So, uh, But now and again, you get, I'll throw in the odd um, tutorial for you as well. So have a look on there. And I'm quite active on the social media as well. I try and be as active as I can on there. So as any of you know out there, Social media, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it for obvious reasons, but we all need it. We all need to get our work out there. But please remember, when I'm putting work out there, how much effort it takes me to do it. Because because like all artists, I'm crippled with lack of self-confidence with stuff. Um, so please, when, when I put something out there, know how much time it's taken me and how much guts it's taken me to put it out there and show you all and, you know, and hope that you like it. Okay, that's great. And obviously you can find out more about me again at art92.com and as uh, H mentioned, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's all under Art92 because like I said, every week you, know, you get to our age and you look if you can remember to put your pants on in the morning and mind what different social media <laughs> handles you've got. Um, if you enjoyed this show, which I hope you have because I know I have, then uh, please check out our previous episodes. They're all available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, um, we seem to be popping up on other ones that um, I've never even heard of. So if you've got somewhere where you acquire your quality podcast entertainment, then we're probably on there. So please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a, an episode. And if you would be so kind and feel inclined to leave us a review, um, we always welcome five-star reviews because this apparently gives us what they call social proof that people are actually listening to the podcast, which means it's easier for other people who are just browsing to find us. So again, you know, there's a load of um, excellent podcasts out there. 
on different subjects. And I always try and leave a review for other podcasts just to help people find them because I think it's, you know, if I enjoy it and I've stumbled across it, then somebody else may do so. So please do that. And just shouting out onto some podcasts as well for people that may be interested. So a bit of a podcast community thing here. So obviously, you know, this podcast tends to be around all things kind of creative with, with a bit of comics and stuff thrown in there. There are other similar podcasts that that, that specialise and are much, much more professional than my little effort. So if you don't already do so, then I would suggest, you know, maybe listening to things like um, the Awesome Comics Podcast, which is probably the greatest small press podcast um, out there. Mega City Book Club is a wonderful podcast looking at all things related to 2000 AD. Um, you've also got things like um, wrestling podcasts that I listen to, such as Positively Pro Wrestling, which again are just two two guys that look back in time and look at various aspects of old school wrestling, which is, is often hilarious and, and just good fun. So there's lots of stuff out there. And over the next few weeks, I'll call out a few more of these uh, these great podcasts that people may enjoy. And uh, one that I'm hoping to be on quite soon as well is called The Nerds That Haunted Themselves, uh, Stuart Mulrain's podcast. And I believe we're due to record an episode quite soon where we will be looking back in time at that great celluloid extravaganza that was no holds barred. Yes, it was an 80s action movie starring Hulk Hogan and other various wrestlers. And um, yes, it is as as dodgy as it sounds. So that, I'm sure that'll be uh, that'll be some good fun as well. So once again, I'd like to thank you all for, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, remember to join us next week where we'll have another guest lined up to continue our Art of series. And I'd also like to thank Lena one more time just for um, talking us through a process and giving up her time. No, thank you. Thanks for letting me waffle. And I'll just leave you with this final thought from the great John Singer Sargent. And this is about portraiture and its pitfalls. And he said... Every time I paint a portrait, I lose a friend. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye.